0: So again, church, if you can stand with me as we read God's word, which will be in Genesis three fourteen to 24. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil, now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the, at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And this is the word of the Lord.
1: Okay, so I think last time I was here, I was asked to speak about like stewardship. Uh, that's a Christian word for money right? <laughs> and tithing. And so that's always like a, that's a fun sermon for a guest speaker to do. You know, like I can say like basically anything biblical and then jump in, jump out, which I think I did last time because I had something afterwards, but... Um, I hope that went okay. Uh, and that, that was a hard subject. But um, your pastor has asked me to speak about um, maybe an even more difficult subject. And uh, it's trauma, right? I think that's what I'm supposed to talk about. And um, part of the reason I think he asked me is because in November, our church uh, will be doing an intensive a Friday-Saturday on the subject of trauma. And let me um, share with you one of the reasons why um, I've become so interested in this subject. Um, I had a dog growing up. Her name is Annie. And she, uh, we meant to get her in part because we needed a a guard dog, a watchdog. Um, But she was the worst watchdog possible. I remember my mom saying, oh my gosh, she's exactly like you. She trusts and loves everybody. <laughs> and I th- I thought about that a lot because when I first entered ministry, I just thought, okay, like, let's just love people. Let's just do life together and We'll be happily ever after. But as the years progressed, I felt like something was off. It was off. And like, um, let me give you just, I think, one of my first experiences that made me think a lot about, like, just there was a category I wasn't really thinking through. So in my first year of seminary, um, a few friends gifted me a laptop. And another group of friends gifted me a laptop. So I had two. And um, it was my first semester of uh, seminary. And I looked to my left and I noticed that one of my peers was like just trying to keep up with all, um, like the, everything the professor was saying, just with pen and paper. And so I approached him and I said, hey, um, do you want a laptop? Like, I have two. I don't need to, so would you like one? Um, I thought it was the most basic exchange possible. And he said, sure. <laughs> like, why not? So I gave him a laptop. And he didn't talk to me for the rest of the semester. He avoided me like the plague. Like, I was very confounded. So at the end of the semester, I, like, I cornered him. And I, let's call him John. I said, John. We're going to go to lunch. You're going to pay because I give you a laptop, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so I said, let's go grab lunch. And um, so I just said to him, honestly, John, did I, did I do something to offend you? And he said, of course. Like, how can you be so dumb? I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, what? He goes, you gave me a laptop. And I said, yeah. <laughs> that I did do. And he said, you did that because you think you're better than I am. And you did that to control me. And I was like, <laughs> I did not. I thought this was like a joke. And that, you know, some cameramen were going to come out and say, ah. <laughs> like I was just sitting there. And I was like, John, what do you mean? He goes, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You saw me, and you looked down on me. And by giving me the laptop, you were stamping on me that you are better than I am. And I was so weirded out by that. And my conclusion was like, eh, like, you got oddballs everywhere. Except that since that time, that was 2002. What is it now? 2022. 20 years, right? One incident after another began to help me realize that and this is where I want to just ask you to just consider this keep in mind I was trained at a reformed seminary if I can translate that very conservative, very theological Um, and so I made this mistake where in my head I knew what it meant to be reformed but functionally I was just loving everyone I was trusting everybody and I didn't have what I would call a biblical anthropology that is a biblical view of how sin has broken us in every sense and so I became very interested in the subject of trauma trauma um, for this very reason Do you remember Jesus? I I love this, like, pithy statement he made. And it's become such a big part of my life where he said, be as innocent as a dove, but as sharp as a serpent. Actually, the translation is be as crafty as a serpent. Jesus was very purposeful there because he was saying, even the serpent in the garden was very crafty, scheming. And, you know, we don't expect that from Jesus, where you're like, we're like, whoa. <laughs> but you see, I think what Jesus was saying that, like, in your motives and in your lives, you should try to be very pure, very genuine, very sincere. To be honest, very anti DC, you know, not networking because you have an agenda, but because you love God and you want people to know God. But at the same time, you have to be sharp as a serpent. And I would argue that to that end, we all have to grow in this subject of trauma. So that's the background to it. That's the background to it. So I want to just share with you um, some reflections. One of the the challenges of doing more of a topical sermon is that you're not quite expositing one particular text. But um, I do think that all of my thoughts are generally... Based on the Bible and hopefully hopefully we'll do the best we can. okay so let me first begin by suggesting to you um, a trademark of trauma, and then I'm going to ask a question. this question will lead to my reflections, okay uh, But before I do so, I want to make sure that I acknowledge this from the outset. This for me is not theoretical, at least in this sense. Um, you know, um, I think you, you're in ministry long enough. I don't know if this is a good thing, but you hear so many stories that it's it's a strange thing when you're not surprised by anything. But it's actually a, a sad place to be. Even several weeks ago, this man uh, asked to meet me for counseling, so we talked for about an hour. And um, you could tell he was distraught. And the 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 gist of it was something along the lines of his daughter was involved and was arrested uh, for her involvement with using some family members for very... If I can say it broadly, inappropriate ends. And as he was sharing this, you know, I I thought about the incident afterwards and I was thinking, 20 years ago, I would have been like, oh my gosh. Now I'm like, that actually sounds right in the sense of if you take seriously what the Bible says about sin. And I share that with you because I think that there are some people in this room who have been through trauma. I mean, statistically at least, it's impossible that there isn't anyone in this room and everyone's sitting here thinking like, oh, what's he talking about? There are probably some people in this room who have experienced trauma. Undoubtedly, someone in this room that will know uh, someone very close to them that has gone through trauma. So I do hope that this, I guess, talk, more than anything, uh, serves you well. And um, I want to approach it with uh, as much compassion but also with as much biblical truth as possible. This is where the balance is a little bit hard, right? Uh, But let's begin in this way. Let's begin in this way. Now, one of the trademarks of trauma, there are so many different definitions out there, but one common denominator of anyone that has ever experienced trauma is the loss of security and control. These are two very important features of trauma, okay? Because trauma can happen in different ways. Some people have experienced trauma through, like, repeated years of abuse, particularly by those who are close to them, like their parents. So trauma can take on that form. Sometimes trauma can be a singular event. I mean, not too long ago, you know, another man was telling me how... um, he lost his daughter one night, 20, 20 years old, just hit by a car and then she was gone. And that single event like traumatized him, changed him profoundly. So <clears throat> you know, there are different ways people experience trauma, but um, the effect of it is a deep and profound impact on the entire being where you feel a loss of control. And you feel a loss of security. And this is not merely emotional. You know, I I don't have enough background here, but the literature agrees with this. It's also profoundly neurological. Those of you who have more of a uh, biological background, there's this book. uh, It's written for everyone, but it's The Body Keeps Score. And in some cases, neurologists have said that when people go through traumatic events, and maybe some of you have gone through this, uh, there's a certain part of your brain that literally disconnects from another part of your brain in order for you to survive. And so as a result, that part of your brain that has a lot to do with emotions ceases to develop in a very natural way. And so trauma is like very profound in its consequence. But in particular, again, everyone that has been through trauma, interestingly, uh, these two aspects, a loss of security and a loss of control. So that's the definition. Now, having said that, this is the question I want to ask you to consider. I'm going to just make a few suggestions. Uh, i am been lecturing on this for about 8-10 um, hours. I have about 30 minutes. And So, <laughs> so I'm going to be probably raising more questions than answers. But let me ask you this question. And this is a hard question. And this is why I wanted to make sure that everyone in this room knows I'm not dismissing what you've been through. I want to be very clear about this. However, I do want to ask a very penetrating and important question. Are the events related to what we call trauma unique? Okay, That's a very important question to ask. Are the events that lead to what we call today trauma unique. Let me uh, explain what I mean. Is it the case that only now, here, in this time and place, that women have been objectified and abused? No. Is it only now that men have participated in like bloody wars and, you know, suffered traumatically? No. But there does seem to be something about us today where we're no longer able to handle tragedy the way people were able to uh, before. This is one of the things that hard considerations we want to think about because, see, what's interesting about the Bible is literally from the beginning to the end, there are what you and I would call traumatic events And yet, we don't have much recorded about traumatic effects. Did everyone get that? That's very important. Like, there are what you and I will call traumatic events, but not so much what we call traumatic effects. So what do I mean by it? First, traumatic events. When you look at this text, right, there are three things that Adam and Eve go through, which they're pretty bad, pretty bad. Let me just go through them very quickly. First is this. We don't know exactly how long, how much time ba- passed between, Ed, uh, between the time when Adam and Eve, when they were created, and when they fell into sin. For all we know, it could have been thousands of years. We actually don't know that time period. It wasn't like a week. It wasn't like a year. You know, some scholars say it could have been like a m- millennial. Like, we don't know how much time that passed. But we know this much, that during that time they were so intimate with God that they were accustomed to hear, hearing him walk in the garden. See, that's the impression that you get. That they were, like, intimate with, a, with God in a way that you and I will only know when we are in the new heavens and the new earth, right? So imagine that that was your starting point. But after, after they, you know, eat the forbidden fruit, that relationship has been severed, Right? Um, this is, I guess, the closest we could come um, to <laughs> to this. But so, being Asian, our family was there's no such thing as this thing called boundaries. You know, there's something like boundaries. Like, and <clears throat> I was very tight, especially with my mother. And um, I remember, remember this time in college, I was dating this young lady, um, and my mother did not approve of her, Maria. And so I said, you know, Mom, I'm a man now. I don't need your approval. <laughs> right? I'm going to make my own decisions. And my mom said, that's fine. She goes, you go be a man. And I said, okay, I will go be a man. And she cut me off for about three months. Right? Now, you have to understand, if we had never been close, it would have been no big deal. But I would call, and the first time, ring, 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 she wouldn't pick up, ring, ring, she wouldn't pick up. Finally, one day she picked up. I'm like, hey, Mom. She goes, who is this? i like, oh. like, who is this? Mom, this is your baby son. She goes, he's dead to me. <laughs> right? So, And, uh, you know, I can, I'm able to look back at it and laugh now, but at the time, the severance of that relationship, it really, like, threw me off for a long time. Now, that's just a relationship between one human to another over the course of 20 years, right? But imagine from Adam and Eve's perspective, suddenly being cut off from God. At least they didn't have the relationship they, that they had before. Do you don't think that that would have been what we would call traumatic? You see? So from the very beginning, the Bible's not shying away from like bad things. Second thing that happens in the Garden of Eden is this. Adam does something very unmanly. Okay, like and we, we could we could talk at length about this, but when God appears, right, and this is after Adam and Eve have eaten the forbidden fruit, interestingly God looks at Adam and he says, What is this you have done? And do you remember what Adam does? He basically takes zero ownership. He says, That woman, you notice she's no longer Eve, right? his lover, his wife, he says, that woman, she who shall not be named, right, whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate, I ate it. <laughs> and you look at that, you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, like, that is not a man, right? But in all seriousness, think about what Adam's and, Adam and Eve's relationship was after that moment. Because if you really penetrate into that conversation, this is what Adam was saying. Adam knew the consequences of eating the forbidden fruit. You remember? God said, if you eat this, you shall surely die. So when Adam was saying, she did it. She's to blame. Do you you feel the effect on Eve? Adam is supposed to be her husband. Adam is supposed to be her protector. And basically, he's saying, take her, let me live, right? Can you, can you like, can you imagine this? Like, um, <laughs> one time, I know this isn't funny, um, my wife was about to get hit by a car. And so I pushed her out of the way so to save her. And, you know, so the car was coming at me. Thankfully, it stopped. And, um, you know, that was one of the few things I did well in our marriage, right? And I remember when we went home, she looked at me, and she goes, I find you so attractive today, <laughs> right? Like, Like, um, but imagine, imagine this. Had that incident been like, oh, snap, a car is coming. And I'm like, honey, you can do it, <laughs> right? Like, had I not, and, you know, she, I think something different would have happened in our marriage, right? But in all, like, seriousness, Imagine how traumatic that event the traumatic effect that that had on their marriage right so relationally it's not actually very different from like when a spouse discovers that the other spouse has been unfaithful if you ever if you've ever been involved in this um, it's it's ugly it's Traumatizing. So that's number two in Genesis. But the other thing is this <clears throat> they are displaced. And like, they're not just displaced, right? They lived in the Garden of Eden. Think about how awesome every detail of the Garden of Eden must have been like. Just the food, the sleep, like, no fear. Like, everything is awesome. Literally. And then they're cast out. That's why, again, if you want to understand like, um, immigrants, like, especially first or second generation, like, you have to understand like, how traumatizing displacement is. My parents um, occasionally have me watch like, these movies uh, from what life was like in Korea. This is where they're from, from South Korea. And when I look at those videos, I'm like, oh, that's so weird that that's how you gr- grew up? That's what it was like? And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's so bizarre. And, and then they say to me, what do you think it was like when we came to America? Right? That experience of being displaced. Some of you have experienced that. I mean, you, you know, some of you are like, let's say, from this, uh, like, from Texas, from california and you've come to northern virginia like what is this imagine coming from a different country and what it must have been like and that's why like when you see adam and eve they're not in the garden of anymore anymore they've been displaced that must have been what very traumatizing for them and if you just look at the rest of the bible everything is again what you and I would call traumatic events I mean I was, I was thinking about this one thing and I asked my like colleagues at RTS about this but one person that has definitely experienced a lot of traumatic events would have been Job right and I think about Job in this particular way I understand it's a story it's a true story but the ending is supposed to fill out the beginning but the story of Job never made sense to me it never, ever, ever made sense to me, the ending. Because the ending goes like this. Job, his wealth has not just been restored, it's been doubled. And it's that and God gave him back, God gave him 10 new children. If you're a parent, you know it doesn't work like that. So I have three kids, and you know, I, I love them to death. But especially my baby girl, I don't know what, what's going on with her. She is way too happy. Like, and this has been her new thing. She wakes up every day. She's beaming. And she goes, Daddy, guess what? And I'm trying to be a good father. I'm like, Ah, what? <laughs> I'm like, what? And she goes, Today is even better than yesterday. <laughs> she says that like every day. I'm like, What's wrong with you? I don't say, How is today better than yesterday? You just, every day is like literally, she is so ready to go. And my wife and I, she, she, she has brought us so much joy. Our boys too, but really, she has <laughs> brought us all. Oh, man. So when I look at the story of Job, if ever we lost her and we, we had another daughter, I think there would be comfort, but not, okay, like minus one, plus one. We're, it doesn't work like that. And the point I'm trying to draw out here, and I know it's a, a big point, but it's basically this. One of the reasons why I I believe in God, I believe in Christianity, is because from beginning to end, it acknowledges traumatic events. Traumatic events. And you cannot take that lightly. You cannot take that lightly. Let me explain why, right? This is the thing that is really important, right? So follow this logic with me for a moment. And some of you may have struggled with this. It basically goes like this. I was abused in this way, and it was horrific, and it was, and so then you take the next step, and you say, "See, it was terrible what happened to me." And if God is God, and if God is powerful, and if God is good, He would not have allowed to, uh, like He would not have allowed this to happen. And so, therefore, I reject God. I don't believe in God. So I understand that sequence. But do you see the the problem with that? By rejecting God, you are basically adopting a world where um, Dawkins, the atheist writer, very interesting, he was an evolutionist, and he said the following. This is the problem. By rejecting God, everything just is. By the way, he was a Christian by any chance. And therefore, even your feeling that this was not right, that's illogical it's irrational it just is you see and that's why but and so atheism doesn't allow for what the bible calls things are not the way they're supposed to be you see that's one of the reasons why i find christianity so attractive because things are not the way they're supposed to be and the bible's answer is that oh it's just in your mind there's not such thing as right or wrong like it just is no the bible says you're right that absolutely should not have happened to you. And the Bible from beginning to end is acknowledging that, acknowledging that. And I hope that that would give you some freedom. Isn't it like when you actually read the Bible, it's such an amazing like work because it's saying, yes, things are not the way they're supposed to be. It is affirming you. It is acknowledging everything you have been through life. And it's not saying, it's not a big deal. The Bible is saying, yes, it's a huge deal. And what is so beautiful about the Bible is that God doesn't just say, like, but He said, He promises even in this text, but someday, someday, right, you're going to have a son, a great, 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 great grandson. And He's going to undo all of this. But that's the first and main point I wanted to offer to you that the Bible acknowledges that things are not the way they are supposed to be. And again, any worldview outside of like, believing in God does not allow for that. And so having said that, <clears throat> for the sake of time, let me uh, just suggest to you, uh, I wish I had a lot more time, but one remedy or one help, one help. Okay, So this is the one help I wanted to offer you. And it's the following. Um, I've referred to this picture before but um, I think this is a great picture and um, I'll come will come back to it at the end but this is the question I originally wanted to ask so traumatic events are not new they're not new but what is new is our inability to deal with them everyone see the difference and the last thing i want to be is i don't i, I don't want to be reductionist that can say this is the only reason why right however i want to suggest to you one of the main contributing reasons for why we are not able to handle trauma anymore right there's this fantastic book i've recommended it a number of times it's by sebastian junger it's called tribe it's not a christian book but it's a fantastic book and he poses a very similar question those of you that have read it you know this he says why is it that particularly in America, in the United States, our vets, those who return from war, why don't they recover the way people elsewhere, like all over the world and all throughout history, that they have recovered? But why do vets, particularly in the United States, how come they don't recover? And he unpacks uh, the answer to that. But one thing in his book, I remember he gave this example that was um, fascinating absolutely fascinating it was either during world war ii or world war one something happened in britain and basically a hospital full of patients with mental illness much of which was from trauma all of a sudden they were perfectly fine this 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 was, it was very uh, strange they went from being basically people who needed others to constantly take care of them, they couldn't operate normally in society and all of the above, to becoming very functioning people, driving cars, delivering supplies, and so forth, right? And he, he was trying to make sense of what was going on. And he proposes a very interesting answer. He says, you see, what happened was that many of these patients, they were brought out of their suffering out of their past because they were like caught up in a much greater vision and this was winning the war and so what happened was all of a sudden it's not that their past was negated it's not that their past never happened but they were no longer stuck in the past but instead a vision of something and someone much greater brought them out so that all of a sudden they were able to quote-unquote function in society I think that's actually a fascinating observation because we live in what we call a post-faith age where people no longer really believe in God, right? And Nietzsche was, you know, a a big uh, player in this regard. And you see, the loss of a vision in God is not inconsequential because, you see, part of what we need, and this is where I want to challenge you, A huge part of what you need, right, in order to heal is a huge God. Let me illustrate it in one way and then we'll end, right? Or if I have time, let me illustrate in two ways. There was a group of people in the Old Testament who were definitely, they went through a lot of traumatic events, one event after another. And they were what? The Israelites, right? And uh, just think about one example. Do you remember when they became so numerous? Do you remember what Pharaoh did? It's actually pretty horrific. It's basically, you might say, a miniature genocide. They basically took all the boys who were two years or less—just those of you with boys—imagine this, right? And he slaughtered all of them because apparently that there was going to be a Messiah. And then during their 400 years of enslavement, do you think like a lot of bad things happened? <laughs> Obviously, right? Like we can only imagine. And yet, isn't it interesting that the way God treats their trauma is basically this. He shows that he is a huge and powerful God. Because the entire Exodus incident, it's not just plagues, but during this time, Egyptians believed in a bunch of gods, right? And so Exodus is more like a battle between Israel's God and what? the gods of, Egypt, of the Egyptians. And throughout the entire time, this is what's going on. The Israelites, despite their incredible suffering and incredible loss, all of a sudden, they're being filled with what? A vision of a great and mighty God. And in that sense, they lose themselves and they are caught up in something so much greater that they begin to experience what we would call healing or recovery. And that's why if we lose a vision of a great and mighty God, right, then in a lot of ways, it's almost impossible to recover from our trauma. And that's why one of the suggestions I just want to give you is this. Like, how can we begin to recover from our traumatic events, right? It's recovering a sense of a great and mighty God. And let me end just by giving you what what does the Bible say? What is this vision of a great and mighty God? It's this. So I've recommended this book so often. I I think some of you might have read it by now, right? It's this. It's written by Stephanie Fu, and it's uh, entitled What My Bones Know. And um, if you want to understand how Asians operate, second generation, you should read this book. It's, It's an awesome book. But basically, she goes through all this trauma. But you know what's very interesting? and I, I think I've shared this with you before, but I think this is true. How does she begin to like, experience healing? There are these two things that happen. So she literally went through hell. She, she, it was terrible what she had been through. But she has these two breakthroughs that's absolutely fascinating. So for most of her life, she viewed herself as a victim. Maybe some of you have that perspective because she, she was a victim. For most of her life, she viewed herself as someone that had been hurt. But um, she talks about this incident, I think, when she was in college, and one of her roommates, her mom was dying from cancer. And so throughout that entire time, Stephanie Fu failed to ask her friend, how are you doing? How's your mom doing? How are you processing this? Because she was so caught up in her own life. And later in her book, she says something very powerful She said, you know what I realized? I was a victim, but I was also a victimizer. I was hurt, but particularly because I was hurt, I was always hurting other people. So that was an important milestone in her healing because it broadened her identity. And then she said, number two, and she said, what I needed the most. I think her husband's name is John. By the way, if you read this book, John is a very discouraging person. He's awesome. So make sure your wives and your girlfriends don't read it. Okay, like this guy is amazing. Like I read it and I was like, he's like Jesus. And literally he is like Jesus, because this is what Stephanie Fu says. She said, you know, she was a little bit unstable, a little bit unhealthy. And she said what she needed more than anything else was someone that knew her both as a victim and as a victimizer. Both as someone who's hurting and who's other, hurting other people and who would love her no matter what. And not only love her, but bring her into his family. And when I read that, those two things, what does that mean? sound eerily familiar? Do we have someone who says, you have been sinned against and you have sinned against others? And I know you inside and out. I know all the horrors that you have experienced. I also know some of the horrors that you have made others experience. But I love you no matter what. And I love you to the point where I'm going to go on the cross I'm going to die in your place. I'm going to bring you into my family. And not only that, someday we're going to be in a place when everything will be okay. You see, friends, like, this is why I'm not just saying this as a theologian or a, as a pastor, but I'm saying even secular literature, it says that if you have experienced traumatic events, what you need is a great God a great God that has revealed himself in his son, the one who knows you, the one who loves you, and the one who has promised to make all things new. And I want to end by just giving you this, like a brief explanation why this is like my favorite, maybe my favorite picture in the Bible. The Bible's approach to brokenness and trauma is very nuanced in this way. This is my favorite picture in in the Bible. You have Jacob. He has wrestled with God, right? And do you remember how that story ends? God says, from now on, you are what? Blessed. So Jacob is blessed. And when the sun rises, we are told that he walks away forever crippled, right? You see that? You see that juxtaposition? Blessed like for the rest of his life he's walking with a limp right you know what that is telling us that in Jesus you are blessed he has died for you and yet for most for much of this life that blessing may not look like a blessing because you might limp because of what has happened to you but someday you will walk with Jesus when he returns and that's why like the hope that the gospel gives about your trauma is that you have one, again, who already now is working in you, but as we're about to eat and drink, one who says, but not fully yet. Someday, someday you will be made whole. Look forward to that day. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, I I pray for just this wonderful church. Um, I pray for the leadership that they would provide incredible constancy and love for all these members. But God, I pray specifically for the people here tonight because um, there's no doubt almost everyone in this room has experienced traumatic events. Some have been betrayed by the very ones that should have loved and protected them. Some have experienced, like, dislocation. They had to immigrate here. Maybe some of them had to leave all their friends and family and everything familiar behind. And some have just felt like a kind of valley of darkness for the longest time. And thank you, like, God, thank you so much that your Bible, it does not read like a Disney fairy tale. The Bible does not shy from saying, this world, it is not the way it's supposed to be. And I pray that that truth would comfort everyone here because sometimes they feel like no one acknowledges the reality of what has transpired. The Bible says absolutely not. The Bible, from beginning to end, says that things are not the way they are supposed to be. But the gospel takes it one step further. It says that we are not the way we are supposed to be because we too have been infected by sin. Thank you that you, the promise you gave Adam and Eve has been realized in Jesus Christ, the one who knows us fully, the one who has died for us, the one who has brought us into the family of God, and the one who has said, though you might limp in this life, in the next life to come, you will dance and you will sing with joy. I pray that we would look to the cross and be filled with hope as we continue to uh, walk in faith. It's in the Son's name we pray. Amen.